All right, morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David. That was a very emphatic morning over there. I, I appreciate that a lot. Good morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. You know, about a year ago, I came across a story about a man uh, who was lived during a kind of pre-Civil War times uh, in the United States, and he was a, a Christian man, a wealthy man from the North. And every year, he would go down into the South, and he would go to slave auctions to buy slaves so that he could set them free. And one particular year, he bought a number of slaves, and he was, they were walking back towards the north, and he began to explain what was happening to, to one of the young women, and he said, I just want you to know you're free. I came to set you free. And she looked at him and said, like, like free, free? He said, yeah, I came to set you free. And she said, like, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. I can go wherever I want to go. He said, yeah, you're, you're free. And then she looked at him really intently and said, then, then I will go with you. Now, I wanna, I wanna talk through this amazing principle. We're gonna come back to that later because we're gonna see this beautiful principle in the Bible this morning. Uh, if you, this is your first time today or second time or whatever, as a church this fall, we've been going verse by verse through the beautiful letter of Ephesians in the Bible. I would love for you to grab a Bible now. There's Bibles uh, under the chair in front of you or it's under your chair if you're in the front row. Whatever the case, whether you bring your own Bible or use a phone or whatever, we want you looking at God's word. We're gonna be on page 799 here at our church Bibles. And Paul's gonna start talking today about God's message at a fairly high level, and then I want you to notice how he talks about himself in relation to God, because I find that how he talks is quite different than how we talk today about ourselves in relation to God. And so therefore, I kind of suspect, I'm just gonna warn you at the front end here, I kind of suspect that today's message from Ephesians may be one that your heart doesn't really want to hear. But if you read the Bible, Right? And you study its writings and you study the lives of its authors, you're going to see, no, that's, that's how they lived. And even though it's different from how we lived. Okay, so Ephesians chapter 3, uh, all you need to do is find the big number 3 because we're going to start right at the beginning of the chapter. Okay, ready? All right, here we go. Uh, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then you see that dash right there? All that means is Paul is about to go on a legit rabbit trail, okay? That's what it means when you see that in the Bible. He's not gonna come back to this thought till like verse 13, okay? So that, that's all that means. Okay, verse two. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now, the main point of these six, first six verses is actually really similar to what we talked about last week, and that is that Paul is sharing that this great mystery, that the good news of Jesus says that the Jews and the Gentiles, which is every other race that isn't a Jew, that everybody, the people of all races can come together and be one in Christ Jesus. So we're not gonna focus as much on the first six verses because we talked a lot about that last week. And now Paul, in the next few verses, is gonna go deeper into how he thinks of himself and how he thinks of himself in relation to God. So let's look down to verse seven. Verse seven says this. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. 
Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities, that means the angels and demons, in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, now he's getting back to his original thought here, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Okay. I'll start breaking this down. One of the key verses is verse seven. Paul calls himself a servant of the gospel, a servant of God. And this is a label that absolutely shapes Paul's thinking and his ministry. And we need to think more deeply about this. And here's why. The average Christian does not truly see themselves as a servant of God, but instead sees God as their servant. Now, I'm not sure we would actually say that out loud, like, oh yeah, God, he's my servant, right? But I think that is indeed how many of us think and live. We act as if God's main purpose is to serve us. But like, answer our prayers, make us healthy, get us a good job, keep that relationship together, help the Vikings win with a third string quarterback, right? Just go on and on, right? And then what happens? When things don't go well, Right, and life gets hard or painful or uncomfortable, we become frustrated with God. We feel like he's not doing his duty. Well, what's underneath that frustration? Underneath it, not doing his duty to do what? Well, to, to serve us. You see what I mean? But the Christian leaders that we read about in the Bible, like Paul, they're taking an inverted approach. They're not looking at God and saying God is his purpose is to serve us, they're saying, no, 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 it's, it's inverted. It's that our purpose is to serve God. And why? Well, for one, just, I mean, think about who God is, right? God created the universe. And you've created, like, like maybe like a really good grilled cheese? Like, I don't know, like, <laughs> that's just not much of a comparison, right? And so if we're gonna serve God and actually pull this off, we gotta start by seeing God for who he rightly is. I mean, even on a human level, I'm guessing that no one in this room would go up to someone really famous. I don't, you, like you wouldn't walk up to, to Bill Gates or Kirk Cousins or Taylor Swift and say, hey, I'm just wondering, would, would, you, be, would you become my servant? Right, like you wouldn't do that. And so why would we ask God to do the same? Now, I think part of it is because there's some nuance here, right? Like we do read in the scriptures that God came as a loving servant. He modeled service. He's our father. He cares for us. He answers prayer. Yes, 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 and yes. But the primary focus of this passage, and this is where we gotta work out of the nuance, the primary focus of this passage is about our relationship with God. How do you see yourself in relationship to God? And in your posture towards God, you should be thinking of yourself as the servant not as God, as the servant. And of course for Paul, his reasoning is richer than just God's really big and we're not, right? I, I think Timothy Keller, for example, he explains that once Paul saw who God really was, that he could say this, that he could say, I am now a servant and I don't belong to myself anymore. When I saw this gospel, 
When I saw what Jesus Christ had done, when I saw the wisdom of it, when I saw the beauty of it, when I saw how it brings everything together, how it answers all the philosophical questions, how it meets every single human need, and how it's going to draw all of history together, I became a servant. Now, what's crazy about our 13 verses today is that Paul doesn't just use the language and the metaphor of calling himself a servant, he calls himself something else as well, and that was in verse one. In verse one, Paul calls himself a prisoner of Christ. Now, we have gotta read this really slowly. He doesn't say, your mind wants to say that I'm a prisoner for Christ, which is also true. That's not what he said. He said, I'm a prisoner of, of Christ. What does that mean? Now, I actually think it's helpful if we compare it to a really similar phrase that Paul uses more often in his letters. And multiple times he calls himself a slave of Christ. And the idea really of the slave and the prisoner is kind of the same meaning here. What Paul's saying is that he loves Jesus Christ so much and that he so deeply understands the majesty of who Jesus is that Paul sees Jesus as his Lord as his master. And I, I, friends, I think this is a real weakness of American Christianity right now. Because outside of a few minor voices, we just don't have much being written about this or much being preached about this that actually sounds like Paul here where people are saying, Jesus is our master, we are his prisoner. By the way, I told you this was gonna sound really foreign to your ears. I did warn you at the front end, just, just so you know, right? But church, this is why we teach through the Bible. Okay, this is why we go verse by verse through many, many books because passages like this get skipped all the time. Why? Because, well, it sounds funny, doesn't it? And it kind of intersects our culture a bit painfully, so we skip over it. But if we always skip over these passages, are we really actually understanding what Christianity even is? Okay, that's why we teach through the scriptures. But when we talk about being a slave of Christ or a prisoner of Christ, We've got to get our image of the master right. Because I think that's the reason why a lot of us go like, oh, I don't like that. We bristle against it because we're not picturing the master correctly. But no, 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 biblically, the image here is much more like the slave girl that I shared about at the very beginning who was freed at a slave auction. She was set free, and where does she want to go? With the one who set her free. I remember when when I first became a Christian, I was 18 years old, I sometimes would go to this church in my town uh, called New Hope Community Church uh, in Cambridge, uh, pastored by my friend Bill Berg, excellent church. And every summer, they would have this huge outreach called Motorcycle Sunday. And a, just a ton of people would all show up to this outdoor service on their motorcycles, right? Like I came in my Ford Taurus, but everybody else came in their motorcycle. That was funnier in my head. You should have seen my Taurus. <laughs> There are a lot of motorcycles in Cambridge, okay? And so they came, and every year there would be this group of motorcyclists. That's what they probably call themselves bikers, I guess. We're motorcyclists, right? <laughs> oh, man, I'm so much more funnier to myself this morning. Uh, <laughs> and they called themselves, this particular group that always came, the Bond Slaves. And I remember thinking at 18, what in the world is a Bond Slave? Well, a bond slave, if you've never heard about this from history, a bond slave was when a master would say to a slave, you know what, I care about you, I wanna set you free. But the slave would say back to the master, you know what, you are the best master 
that anyone could ever imagine. And I've loved being in your home and I've loved serving you and your family. So even though you've set me free, I'm gonna stay here and I'm gonna continue to serve you. I will become a bond slave. That's what that means. And I love that and it's kind of a cool imagery of how we should see ourselves as Christians. That Jesus Christ has come to set us free from our bondage. Some of us, we used to be totally powerless over our jealousy, over our anger, over our addictions, but Jesus Christ has now set us free and given us power over that through the Holy Spirit. Not only that, he's with us every day, he's forgiven us, we're gonna spend all of eternity in heaven. And so who do I then want to become a servant of? Who do I wanna stay with? Who do I wanna say, you just tell me what to do. Even think of myself as a prisoner of, you just tell me what to do. Jesus Christ, that's who. I wanna be his bond slave. But it feels kind of counterintuitive, right? Let's, let's still just be honest and real. Like, you go outside these walls, right, and start, you start walking around the mean streets of Blaine, okay, and, and, and asking people, who's interested in becoming a prisoner of Christ? Or a slave of Christ, a servant of Christ? You think there'll be a lot of takers? You know, probably not, right? But what I wanna do to show you the beauty of this passage is I actually wanna give you three reasons of why you would want to see yourself as a servant of God, and not God as your servant like most Americans do. And I think these three reasons actually show the beauty and the appeal of coming under God as his servant. So here we go, number one, if you're taking notes. Why do you wanna see yourself as God's servant and not God as your servant? Because if you're not a prisoner of Christ, you actually are a prisoner of something worse. Okay, here's the truth. This is a little deep, but let's process through this together. Humans, because they were created by God, were literally created to serve God. It's what you were manufactured for by the creator, okay? And if you try and find life in another way, it won't work. It can never satisfy you. That's like a coffee maker trying to make pizza rolls, okay? The coffee maker wasn't created to make pizza rolls. You were made to serve God like a coffee maker was made to make coffee. And really one of the great paradoxes of Christianity is that the way to life and freedom is to become a prisoner of Christ. Now, if you actually read through the teachings of Jesus, a lot of people in America, they talk about Jesus. Oh, Jesus says, don't judge, but they've never actually read the teachings of Jesus. But if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you read the teachings of Jesus, Jesus talks like this all the time. Let me give you an example, Luke 17, 33. Jesus says, whoever tries to keep their life, that says, you know what, I'm gonna live however I want. That person will lose it. And whoever loses their life, the person who says, you know what, I'm gonna become your prisoner or your slave, you just tell me what to do. That's the person that actually preserves and enjoys life. And it's a paradox, right? Because it doesn't make sense at first. Your mind's going, that can't be true. Most of us, we live constantly, every day, thinking about, oh, if I could just get some time to myself at night, right? Like, if I could just, I could just do what I want to do and live how I want to live, then I'll be happy. But the great irony here is, if you don't trust Jesus Christ here, and you say, no, what? you know what? I'm just going to do what I want. I'm going to say what I want to say, live how I want to live, If you live that way, you won't gain life. You won't gain satisfaction, you won't gain happiness. And shockingly, you'll actually become a prisoner 
to whatever else you're living for besides Jesus. And sometimes these things, I'm not saying like, hey, if you do hard drugs, you're gonna, I mean, that's true, but these, these can be even really nice things. If the main purpose of your life, the narrative of your life is having a really good family, and ultimately, yes, you love Jesus and everything, but really what you're really living for is making sure your kids, they get hug in the right sports, in the right schools, and they grow up and they become great human beings. If that's the main narrative of your life, if that doesn't ultimately work out, and one of your kids, say, becomes a prodigal or goes astray, if that's the main purpose of your life, you will be ruined. You'll be devastated. You'll be a prisoner of it because that's what you were living for. If, if the main purpose of your life is your career, it's promotion, it's making more money, it's going up the corporate ladder, if that becomes the main point of your existence, you'll actually become a prisoner of it. And you'll just keep working and working and more hours and more hours and you'll actually be in shackles to it. Now, I think one of the reasons that we have so much misery and so much depression in this country is because we have way too many coffee makers trying to make pizza rolls. You were made primarily for one thing, right? It's to come under God. It's to have a relationship with him and glorify him. There's appeal to that. The real thing of life, it's to come under him, not to be out under something else. Now let me give you a second reason why you want to see yourself as a servant. And it is number two, because comfort never changed the world. The comfort that so many of us are seeking by the way, God, you serve me, never is going to change the world. I think maybe the most fascinating verse of this whole passage is verse 13. Will you look at that again with me? Verse 13, Paul finally comes back to his thought a little bit, and he says, I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you. By the way, Paul's writing this from prison in Rome. Not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. That's a fancy way of saying, my sufferings are for your good. And Paul's saying, don't be discouraged by my sufferings because if I hadn't have suffered, then you actually never would have even heard the gospel. These Christians in Ephesus, they wouldn't have been saved. They wouldn't have an eternal life in Jesus. Paul is living out his main purpose as a Christian. What's the main purpose of a disciple besides giving glory to God? It's to live out the Great Commission. It's Matthew 28. It's to go therefore and make disciples. This is what verse 8 is saying. It's, it's that he's out sharing the boundless riches of Christ. That's what verse 9 is saying, that he's making plain the good news of Jesus. Is that the purpose of your life? If you've never done it before, I want to encourage you this week to sit down for at least 10 minutes. Maybe you journal this out and think, God, what actually is the purpose of my life? Not like what do you think it should be? What, if someone had to just look at your life, what would they say that it is? What is the narrative that is ultimately driving your life? Because for Paul, it was way different than the average American. He wasn't living just to rack up as many good experiences as he could. I travel as much. You get a bunch of sweet Instagram posts so we can impress people of where he hashtag was today. He's not trying to hit everything on his bucket list. Or I think a lot of Americans would fall in this camp. Paul's not trying to make sure that he's always safe and centered and calm and happy and comfortable. Because comfort never changed the world. And I think we need to hear this word in America because we have built this big, golden, enormous idol and statue 
named comfort, and we bow down to it every day. And in so many ways, it's what we live for, even as Christians. We say, I want to serve you, God, but only if it's like really fulfilling for me and really comfortable. I think about even in serving at church, right? Sometimes we say, well, uh, yeah, I would serve, but I just, I mean, this is not. Or like they're asking me to do it too much, or I just don't feel it's like very fulfilling. Isn't like embedded in the definition of service, isn't it kind of inconvenience? Are we really servants? Are we really servants of God? If even some of the sins in our life, we said, yeah, I would work on that, but it's just super inconvenient. Are we actually servants of God? My friend, Jesus wants to use you to change the world around you, but you're gonna actually have to get uncomfortable. And you won't do it if you just worship the idol of comfort, waiting for God to serve you. Look at verse 13. This, here is a verse in the Bible that Americans don't comprehend. So I wanna just sit in it. I think our, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, many of them get this, especially in the persecuted church, but we don't get this. Verse 13, he's saying that his suffering is for their glory. What does that mean? It means that by suffering for Christ, by living what the world would call an inconvenient life for Christ, one where you talk about Jesus to other people, even though you know they're gonna ridicule you for it, One where you live a life of integrity, even at work, where you know you're gonna get mocked for it, it's through that type of suffering, and often only through that type of suffering, that people will actually finally see that Jesus Christ is so important to you, so valuable to you, that you are choosing him even over the American God of comfort. But you see the problem here. The problem is, too often, we never suffer for Jesus. Let me ask you a hard question. When was the last time that your friends or your family saw you suffer for Jesus? You see, it's because we won't suffer for Jesus that the world around us doesn't see Jesus as worthwhile because they think that we don't even think he's worthwhile. That's what verse 13 is saying. You cannot change the world around you without suffering. Listen, we're, we're, we're baptizing a number of people all throughout the morning, and I've been hearing these testimonies. We just heard one at first service of a woman who told the story of people in our city, from our church, who took a risk, even a small risk, but a risk of discomfort to start talking about Jesus to her, and it absolutely changed her life. And what could she see in them? She could see that this God is important. He's important. They took a risk of suffering, and suffering changes the world. Which is so counterintuitive, right? But if we won't take, like so many of us as Christ followers, if we won't take even a small conversational risk of discomfort, do you think our friends are gonna think that we value Jesus? Or do you think they're gonna think that we're ashamed of Jesus? I don't wanna be ashamed of Jesus. I want to be sold out for Jesus Christ. And friends, this is how we're going to change the world. Because we live in a city that is perishing. We live in a county that is perishing. We live in a place where so many people are prisoners to all of these idols around us, and we have the good news. And God can use us to illuminate the darkness in this city, and I pray that he does. But if we're going to do that, we have to see ourselves first as his servant, not him as ours. 
All right, at this point, before we move on to our third point, we're gonna take kind of a break in the middle of the message, and I, I wanna call our, our baptismal team on stage, because in just a minute, we're gonna celebrate a baptism at this service too. We love baptisms, we do them often here, because they're a reminder to us that Jesus Christ has paid for our sins. And baptisms are that visual reminder that when you believe in Jesus, that your sins can be washed away, that you can be made clean. And not only that, that Jesus Christ has risen up from the dead and he rises us up as a new creation as well. And baptism is a symbol of what happens, okay? So, so no one gets saved by being, baptism, by being baptized, but it's a symbol of what happened when we made that decision to believe in Jesus Christ. And before we do the baptism, we always love to hear a little bit of the testimony of how that person came to believe. So at this point, I'm gonna invite up Pacha to the stage. Good morning. In this past year, I was selfish, unfaithful, partner to my wife. I have done so many things I shouldn't have been doing as a father. I always prioritize my life, myself, to my friend, to try to impress myself by going out parties every weekend and so on. It came to a time I even lost my job as mechanical engineer. I felt empty and lost. But still, my wife, she didn't leave me. One day, she brought me to this church and a few of the pastors prayed with me together. From that day, I've noticed a big change in my life. I always pray to God so that I can become a better person to my wife and my kids. I decide to follow Jesus for the rest of my life because I'm nothing without him. God, forgive me. I confess that I'm a sinner. Today, I, Kepacha Torison, declare to Renovation Church and to the law that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. My wife is my sponsor because she's the best in me. So I'm grateful. Come on now, all right. Thank you. I, I think we do this often because I think stories are really important, right? That Jesus isn't just a concept or a, a worldview or a philosophy. Jesus is real and he absolutely changes lives. And I think this really is a perfect segue to what is the third point of why we wanna become his servant, okay? And this is number three. We wanna become a servant because of God's grace. That's what was just so beautifully said. Thank you so much. 
And this is what Paul is talking about in verse seven. He says, I'm becoming a servant of the gospel, a servant of God. He says, because, because of the grace. He became a servant because of the grace. Grace means, by the way, undeserved favor. None of us deserve that sort of grace. I mean, Paul, look at how he talks about his life. Verse eight, he says, I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people. In First Timothy, Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. Okay, this was a man that opposed Jesus in every possible way. He, he was even authorizing the murder, the murder of Christ followers. And yet, even on this vile and this cruel man, God has mercy. And for the rest of his life, Paul never stops marveling at the fact that God could forgive somebody like him. And it's because of that grace that Paul is compelled to act like a servant. Now, uh, right now I'm reading, uh, just about finished with the autobiography of Gladys Alward. Um, it was an amazing book actually, a uh, short little book. Uh, she was a missionary uh, from England to China. And uh, she was there, shared the gospel with so many people. And in the days before World War II, she also was rescuing a number of particularly children out of slavery, which was still existing in kind of the back corners of China, and, uh, and women as well. And there's one story in the book where she rescues this woman who was a slave herself, but she was also mistreating the slave children horribly. And Gladys, she rescues her from slavery, and she takes her back to the mission house. And this woman, she kept saying to Gladys, the missionary, why did you save me? She said, I am so evil, I'm so evil, I'm so evil. And Gladys said, because God can and he will have mercy on anyone. Anyone, no matter what. And this newly freed woman was so in awe of this, she becomes a great servant of Christ. Or I think of the prostitutes, right, who are forgiven by Jesus in the Gospels. They know they've sinned, and they've sinned greatly. And Jesus forgives them. And some of them, they come and they weep at his feet because they're so just in awe of his forgiveness. Well, the Pharisees, the religious people, they just can't believe this, right? This is incredulous. And they stand back and they're looking at these women and going, doesn't Jesus know like what terrible people they are? And Jesus says something really fascinating to them. He says, what you need to understand is whoever has been forgiven much loves much. Whoever's been forgiven much loves much. But you know what the great gem of that verse is? The truth is, the scriptural truth is, all of us have been forgiven much. And so we all ought to love much. And the more in your life that you can marvel at the fact that God forgave somebody like you, the more you'll become a servant. But if you just continue to kind of step back and be like, you know what, I don't think you really had to forgive me that much, you're gonna end up kind of looking more like the Pharisees, looking at, yeah, did you hear what that person did? And that person's kind of a wreck, and God, when are you gonna serve me? See, but it's grace, it is grace that compels us to be a servant. And I hope that you can see that all of us have sinned. No one in here is perfect. Most of us, life is life, and our lives are quite messy. But the Bible says this, Romans 3.23, It says, for all have sinned, every person, we've all sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. That's God's holy, perfect standard. And because we've sinned against a holy and perfect God, and because God is just, that means that God will have judgment on our lives because of our sin. But then there's this great promise in the Bible, John 3, 16, that says this, for God so loved the world that he gave 
his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, that means shall not spend eternity in hell, but have eternal life in heaven. So it's this great, beautiful truth that even though we've all sinned and we all deserve justice, punishment from God, separation from God, God loved you so much that he didn't want you to be separated from him. But there still needed to be justice. So he sent Jesus Christ to earth to literally take your punishment. It's like he stepped in front of the train for you, saying, I'll take it, I'll take their punishment. And the great truth is whoever believes, it doesn't say whoever gets their life together and does a bunch of good things, it says whoever believes will be forgiven, will have God in their life, will have everything changed because of their faith. But that's a decision we all have to make. And what I'm seeing, I wish you could be here all three services, I suppose you could if you want to, but what I'm seeing here this morning is there are so many people that are saying, and then at one point I believed. I believed, and I invited him in to save me, to pay for my sins, to be my Lord, to be my leader. And it's a decision. In fact, it's the most important decision of your life. And if you have never actually truly made that decision, you could have been coming to church for a long time, and maybe even grew up in it, But if you've never personally said, God, I believe you died for me. I want to invite you in as my savior and my leader. Oh, my friend, let's do that this morning. In fact, let's do this. Let's just have everybody in the room. Would you just close your eyes? Just just for a minute. Maybe even just bow your head. I just want this to be a holy moment for someone. I want to give you that opportunity that I'm talking about. To receive Jesus in as your savior this morning. If you need to make that decision for the first time. To tell Jesus that you need forgiveness for your sins. You need to believe that he died for your sins and invite him in as your savior and leader. In just a minute, I'm gonna ask you to respond by quietly standing up where you are. Now, literally, no one is gonna be looking at you. That's why I just had everybody close their eyes, so don't, don't even remotely think about that. But I just am saying that because I think sometimes we just need the sort of line in the sand moments that, yep, it was today, I said, God, come in. I've sinned against you, I need your forgiveness, I wanna be saved by you, I want you in my life. I want you to change my life like I'm hearing in these stories this morning. Because God can do that in your life, by the way. He can. And so if you need to know that, I bet you feel it in your heart right now, that you just need to receive him in and start walking with him. So if there's anyone here in this service that you're going, I need to be forgiven by Jesus, I need to invite him in, receive him as my savior, If that's you, well, because no one's looking at you right now, but if that's you, would you just quietly stand up wherever you are and say, it's me. Go ahead. Anyone in here? You just know in your heart, like, it's time to surrender to God. Let him forgive you. Embrace him as your savior. If that's you and you know it's time to surrender, would you just stand up wherever you are right now? All right, amen. Anyone else? I'll give you five or 10 more seconds. If you're just on the fence and you feel God in your heart saying, come on, would you trust him? He is so good. If that's you, would you stand? Okay, for those of you that are standing right now, you can all keep your eyes closed. I, I wanna pray with you. The Bible says that when we get to this point in our lives, we believe in our hearts, but we also confess with our mouths, it says. So I want you to pray this prayer that I'm about to pray out loud with me or after me, whether you just stood up or if you've believed this for much of your life, you can pray this out loud after me. Here we go. Dear God, Dear God I, confess to you I confess to you that I have sinned against you. That I have sinned against you. 
But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Amen. All right, you can sit down if you stood up. Uh, If you did stand up today and you made this choice to follow Jesus for the first time, I do wanna tell you that that is the most important step that anyone can make in their entire life. And when you make a decision of that magnitude, you gotta know, okay, what do I do next? And we wanna help you with that, give you resources with that, point you in the right direction. So what I want you to do, if you made that choice, is as everyone kind of wanders out of here, I'm just gonna stand right up here uh, in front of the stage. I want you to just come see me uh, just for like two minutes and I'll give you some really important next steps so you know what to do. That's so huge, okay? So I'll be right down here and you can come see me after the service. For everybody else, have an amazing week. Uh, We had Encounter last week, but we're back on for house groups this week. Uh, Get to your house group this week. If you haven't signed up for our house groups yet, like 80% of our people have, uh, stop by the welcome table on the way up. They'd love to get you connected, all right? All right, see you next week, everybody.